The text for this Good Friday service is taken from Matthew 27, verse 51, the first part. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, today is a very special day. We are celebrating Good Friday. It is a special day not only for us, but also for people around us. For on Good Friday, everybody has a holiday. Most people, however, do not know the significance of this day. We do. At least, we should. But do we really? And do we truly understand the significance of Good Friday? Well, I'm afraid that we, because of our sinfulness, also only have a very small beginning of such understanding. And we will not grasp the full significance until after this life. And yet, also in this life, we must try to gain as full an understanding as we can based on God's word. From the text of this morning, we can get some insight into the great significance of Good Friday through the torn curtain in the temple. Christ cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, and at that very moment, the curtain in the temple of the holy place was torn from top to bottom. It was a great symbolic moment. It was a great moment in the history of redemption. Let us listen to the proclamation of God's word as I preach to you about the tearing of the curtain in the temple. And then we will see that this tearing of the curtain reminds in the first place of our sinfulness. In the second place, proclaims our deliverance. And thirdly, leads to a life of thankfulness. We'll say that once again, the tearing of the curtain in the temple. This tearing of the curtain reminds of our sinfulness, proclaims our deliverance, and finally leads to a life of thankfulness. As I said, it was a momentous event when the curtain in the temple was torn in two. It was a great moment in the history of redemption. And it happened at exactly the time that the Lord God himself determined. It happened on a Friday just before Passover. And we know that the time of Christ's death was three o'clock in the afternoon. And because of the Passover, this will have been a very busy time in the temple. Many priests were occupied with the sacrifices that had to be brought. And therefore, it would have been quite a sensation when the curtain in the temple suddenly was torn in two from top to bottom. It must have been obvious to everyone that this was no ordinary occurrence. For that curtain was no ordinary curtain. As we could read in Exodus 26, this curtain was first of all made in a very specific way. 
Aholiab, as we know from other passages in Exodus, was in charge of making the curtains of the temple. He did not do this by himself. He also had help from the whole Israelite community. For we read elsewhere in Exodus that many women helped with the weaving of that curtain. Now it is highly improbable that the same curtain which was made for the tabernacle would still be in existence at the time of Christ. For the events take place 1,400 years later. No curtain, no matter how well made, would last that long. But there is no doubt that the curtain hanging in the temple at the time of Christ will have been made in the same way and according to the same specifications as the time in the wilderness. Where did that curtain hang exactly? Well, we must first of all realize that there was not one curtain in the temple, but two. For the sanctuary proper was divided into two parts, namely the holy place and the most holy place. The holy place is also called in other parts of the scriptures the tent of meeting. And both the tent of meeting and the most holy place were shut off with a curtain. But in our text only one curtain is spoken of. And so which one is referred to here in our text? Most commentators agree that it would have been the one that separated the most holy place from the holy place. And indeed, that is most likely. For it says in Hebrews 6, verse 19, that Jesus entered the inner sanctuary, that is, the most holy place, behind the curtain. And in Hebrews 9, verse 13, that Jesus entered the most holy place by his own blood. Each time is spoken of the entrance to the most holy place, which was shut off by the curtain. The most holy place was the dwelling place of God. It was the most intimate and most special place in the temple. Only once a year the high priest would be allowed to enter through that curtain to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And this is how God placed himself in the midst of the people since the beginning of Israel as a nation. In the wilderness, the Lord God had skilled craftsmen build a tabernacle where they could make sacrifices so that they could approach God. The most important part of the, of the tabernacle was the most holy place. The Israelites also knew that that especially is where God dwells. As they made their way across the desert, God was with them. The people knew it. For at night they could see a fire above the tabernacle and during the day a cloud would hang over it. And as they moved and the tabernacle moved with them, so did the cloud. So did the Lord God. God was with them. He dwelled among them. And once they became a nation, once they entered the promised land, then the temple was built. And there again, the most holy place was the most important place of the temple. Once again, God made his dwelling amongst his people. But it was very difficult to access that most holy place. 
Only once a year, a high priest could go in there. No one else was allowed. And the high priest himself could only enter after many ceremonies and cleansing rituals. And that was because of the sin of man. Man cannot approach God as if God is a mere creature. No, he is a holy God. He cannot be touched by sinful man. Man has to keep his distance. And that is why a heavy curtain had to shut him out from the people. But what was exactly the significance of that curtain, the way that the people would see that curtain? Well, in the first place, we are told in Exodus that the curtain, also translated as the veil, was made of various colors and materials, materials of various colors, blue and purple and scarlet yarn. And this yarn was likely wool. The rest of the curtain consisted of finely twisted linen. The linen was as white as snow. The color white, therefore, made up the background color. And so white was the predominant color of that curtain. And in addition, cherubim had to be embroidered on the curtains. Cherubim are angels with wings. They represent the angels who guarded paradise after Adam and Eve had been banned from it. To the Hebrews, these colors had a lot of significance. It is not hard for us to discover what these colors on the curtain meant for them. The blue yarn reminded them of the blue color of the heavens. And that is the color of the dwelling place of God. God dwells in the heavens. But God also dwells in the midst of his people in the most holy place. And so that blue reminded them that God is behind that curtain. That blue on the curtain would tell each and every one that God lives there, is among them. We also read about the purple yarn. Actually, from the Hebrew, it is clear that the color, in fact, is a very dark red. For Israel, red is the color of sin. You are probably familiar with the passage in Isaiah 1, verse 18, where it says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And further we know from Numbers 19, verse 12, that the animal which was to be sacrificed on the Day of Atonement, that that had to be a red heifer. The red color signifies also the sinfulness of the people. And therefore we read about a third color, namely scarlet. Again, from the original, it seems clear that it was a light, clear red. And so that signified the color of blood through which the sins of the people would be covered and atoned for when the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat which existed in the most holy place. And then finally we have the predominant color of white. As you know, white is the color of absolute innocence. It is also the color of light. 
In Revelation, John sees how the, gar- how the garments of the saved souls are made white through the blood of the Lamb. This is also what David requests from the Lord when he cries out in Psalm 51 verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Through the blood of atonement we are made white, clean and holy before the Lord. The cherubim were embroidered on the curtain in order to remind the people of the wrath of the anger of God. When these cherubim guarded the way to the tree of life in paradise, they had flaming swords in their hands. And so the text speaks about that curtain with all these colors and with the cherubim embroidered on them, which, as it says in Exodus 26, verse 33, separates the holy place from the most holy place. That word that is used there in verse 33 of chapter 26, that word for separation, has great significance throughout the scriptures. In Genesis 1, that same word is used for the separation of light and darkness at the time of creation. Light and darkness symbolize God on the one hand and sinful man on the other hand. We read in John 1 that light came into the darkness, meaning that the Son of God came into the world of sinful man. Light and darkness cannot exist in the same place. The light will always make the darkness disappear. And so you see that the symbolism that we have here is very rich. And that symbolism is also shown in the way that the Lord also separates himself from man in the most holy place. On the one hand you have darkness, on the other hand you have light. And therefore man could not enter the most holy place. If man were to enter into that most holy place, he would die on the spot. We also read that the curtain was hung upon four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold upon four bases of silver. Acacia wood is very light and very durable. And the gold with which it was overlaid reminds of God's holiness. And so what does all this symbolism refer to? Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, all this symbolism reminds us that God wants things to be again the way they were in paradise. And that he wants to return to the situation before the fall into sin. God wants to dwell with his people. He does not want there to be any barriers between him and man. And don't think that God put those barriers up. No man put that barrier up himself. He did so by rejecting God, by walking away from him. He put up those obstacles. And those obstacles have to be removed. In paradise, Adam and Eve could freely walk and talk with God. There were no obstacles then to their relationship. Adam did not have to be afraid of God. On the contrary, God's presence was a constant delight to him. 
but sin had made a tremendous difference. The Lord God remained the same, holy and full of light. But man became a creature of darkness. Man became, as the scriptures say elsewhere, people of the flesh. When the scriptures speak about our flesh, they speak about our sinful nature. But God is not flesh. He is spirit. And so we see that there is a division, that there is a separation between God and man. And so that curtain, that curtain in the temple is also symbolic of the flesh of man. For man's flesh, his fleshly desires, his attachment to earthly things prevent him from approaching God. And so that curtain in that temple was always like a sermon to the Israelites time and again. It tells them about the need for blood to be shed time and again. It tells them about the separation between God and man. It proclaims to them that no one can see God and live. It also proclaims to them that ultimately sacrifices and prayer and good works cannot earn them a place in the heart of God. For the curtain proclaims to them that they must live out of grace, out of the grace and mercy of God. And that mercy is revealed behind that curtain. And yet it appears that it is almost unattainable for the Israelites. For for only once a year, one man, and that the high priest could go through that curtain. But now we see that on Good Friday, that same curtain is torn in two. It is torn from top to bottom. It did not get torn because the curtain was too old and that for that reason it could no longer bear its own weight. No, there was nothing wrong with that curtain. But it was torn only because that curtain had outlived its usefulness. It also brings us to our second point, namely that the tearing of the curtain proclaims to us our our deliverance. That curtain is torn at the very moment that Christ gives up his spirit. It is at that precise time that our entrance to God has been opened up. The gates are thrown wide open to all those who up to this time were deprived of the temple and who were prohibited from seeing God in his own house. The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, The scribes and the majority of the people condemned Christ. And they cast him outside of the temple. Indeed, they cast him outside of the gates of Jerusalem even. They treat him as an outcast. They want nothing to do with him. They spit on him. They ridicule him. He is nothing more than garbage, refuse to them. But now we see the greatness of Christ. Man can do to him what man wants. But there is one thing that no man can do, and that is to strip him of his almighty power. 
Christ reaches out his hand into the temple, even though he is hanging there on the cross. The curtain is torn from top to bottom. God himself reaches out from heaven, and he proclaims the victory of Christ. The hour has now come in which this statement, no admittance, could be erased from God's heavenly murals forever. At that very moment, the Levites and all the priests, including the high priest, they could all be dismissed. From that moment on, they were, as far as God was concerned, unemployed. Those priests, those Levites, they were no longer needed in order to draw near to God. As I said earlier, our sinful flesh must be seen as functioning in the same way as the curtain in the temple. The flesh had to be torn. And this could be done only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the curtain also represented the flesh of Christ. That is quite clear from Hebrews 10, verse 19 and 20, where it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Christ, by a new and living way opened us for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. The flesh of Christ was torn on Golgotha. That curtain in the temple had hung there for many centuries. And now that curtain is removed through the death of Christ. And so Christ, through the curtain, that is, through his own flesh, by allowing it to be torn, has entered for always the heavenly places. And there he may now sit at the right hand of God his Father. He restored paradise for us, brothers and sisters. All obstacles have been removed, for his flesh is our flesh. We can now look back to the time in paradise when man could walk and talk freely with God. Brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, what a great moment in the history of redemption. On Good Friday, all the barriers between God and us have been removed. We no longer need to go to the temple in order to go there where God dwells. No, now we can approach God directly through Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. We have unfettered access to our Father in heaven through Him. Sin is no longer an issue. Through His blood, all our sins have been atoned for. But now you may ask yourself, is that really true? Can we really do so? For are we now not just as sinful as the Old Testament believer... And yes, beloved, you are right. It is true that we are still just as sinful. In that sense, the symbolism of the curtain applies to us as much as it did 
to the Old Testament believer. For Paul also says to the Romans in chapter 7 verse 14, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. The RSV translates differently. It says, I am carnal, sold under sin. Carnal means that we are flesh. The scriptures refer to our flesh, which is synonymous with weakness. It refers to the fact that we are, because of our sins, programmed to care only for our own flesh, for our own selves. And we tend to think quite highly of ourselves, don't we? That we are really something. We pride ourselves in our zeal for the Lord. We pride ourselves in the fact that we belong to the true church and that we are very diligent in our attendance and in other activities. We pride ourselves in being good parents, at least parents who do a better job than others. And there are many things that make us to feel smug about ourselves. But now God wants us to humble ourselves before him. He wants us to realize the weakness of our flesh. That curtain has to be torn. He wants us to realize that whatever blessings we have, we have only through the grace of God. We have nothing to boast of. Do you know yourselves for the sinful, helpless creatures that you are? Brothers and sisters, boys and girls. There is nothing so difficult as true self-knowledge. It is difficult to see ourselves as we are, miserable sinners. Do you know the deceiver that lives inside of you and that is all around you? Do you see for yourselves how our flesh acts as a curtain which denies us access to God? Do you see what a proud people we are? How we so often deflect criticism and pretend as if there is nothing wrong with us. As if everything is alright with us. And that whatever faults there are are due to other people's sinfulness and not our own. That is why the Lord wants us to know ourselves. To know our sinfulness. To know the weakness of our flesh. Indeed, now we live after the curtain was torn in two. Christ's death opens the gates to the Father wide open for us. For Easter and Good Friday, after Easter and Good Friday comes Pentecost. At Easter, which we will celebrate the Lord dwelling this Sunday, the Holy, we are looking forward to the Holy Spirit, which is poured out for us to the torn flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ, that that may be a reality for us as well. For now, let us remember that our flesh was also nailed to the cross with Christ. Our sinfulness, our original as well as our actual sins, was crucified with Christ. And that also happened on Good Friday. It died it was torn along with his flesh. We now have direct access to the Father who forgives us our sins as long as we humble ourselves before him. For you see, it is not as if God does not demand anything from you. 
now that the curtain has been torn in two. It is not as if we now have to stop trying no longer to sin. For although our flesh was kneeled on the cross with Christ, although Christ did his work 100%, not failing in any respect, we may not take his work for granted by living as if sin no longer clings to us. It is true, Christ has redeemed us. But now you also have to show yourself thankful for that. And that brings us to our third point. We must also nail our own sins to the cross. In that regard, we only have a very small beginning of our obedience. But we know that because of Good Friday, the many ways in which we fail before God, our sinful flesh will not be held against us. And it is for that reason that we must live a life of faith. But faith without works is dead. And for that reason, the law has not been nullified. We must try to keep each and every commandment. But nevertheless, the old has passed on to the new. And in that sense, we can once again approach God as Adam could in paradise. We may walk with him and we may talk with him. The entrance to God in heaven has been opened up through Christ. It is true that at times in our lives it seems as if we still stand before that curtain. We sometimes have the feeling that we are surrounded by darkness. It seems as if God is still hidden before our eyes and that the world and even our own heart is ruled by the forces of darkness. But it is especially at moments like that, at moments when you see that darkness, that you may pray to your Father in heaven. For prayer is the most important part of our thankfulness, as the Catechism says. And then if we truly humble ourselves before God, then we can see also Christ seated at the right hand of God. Beloved, there he sits right now in his glorified flesh. And so faith lifts us up to beyond this present world. The priests were dismissed as soon as Christ gave up his spirit. And now we are all priests before God. We may all draw near to God. The curtain has been torn. And so we may go on from strength to strength in the strength of God. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to be called children of God? Isn't it wonderful that we have the privilege to draw near to him in prayer and thanksgiving? Brothers and sisters, live out of that faith. Live out of those blessings. Know that Christ died for you. And then that veil, that curtain that hangs before your eyes will be lifted. And in the end, that veil, that curtain will be completely lifted. In the end, we will see God with our own eyes. We will live with Him forever and ever. There will be no barriers between Him and us whatsoever. Brothers and sisters, That's what we are looking forward to together. 
And if you truly believe, then you may also be sure that you will receive the blessing of unfettered access to God. And there is nothing greater. Amen. Let us now sing from hymn 20 to stanzas 1, 2, 4, and 6.